This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. Normally at Christmas time, we do a little Christmas mini-series, and this year will be no exception. Our Christmas mini-series is What Jesus Got You for Christmas. And so when we think of a baby in a manger, what did that mean to us? What did Jesus Christ coming to earth really bring for us? What is the gift that we have uh, in Jesus Christ? We'll be taking a look at that over the next four weeks. And so today we're taking a look at the gift that Jesus has got you for Christmas is sonship. And we'll take a look at how important uh, that is as we look at Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse number, we'll start in verse number 12 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15 is kind of where we're going to unpack today. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we shall also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I grew up in a small town of about 4,000 people in western Kentucky, and uh, if you've ever been in a small town or grew up in a small town, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business, and if you go to the Walmart, it's not people just shopping. It's people standing in the aisles and talking for 45 minutes. Uh, If you've ever lived in a small town, you'll know that Walmart is a place that you should get dressed up to go to, right? Uh, That's how small towns work, and so crazy stuff. Uh, But the problem with living in a small town is that if you're a teenager involved in things you shouldn't be involved with, usually before you get a chance to make it home, your parents already know what you've been involved in anyways. And so that's a, it was a bad thing for sure uh, from that aspect. But I learned the benefit of being a part of uh, a family that, that people knew really uh, well when I was in high school. Uh, in the hometown that I grew up in, there was only one king family. There weren't, weren't any other kings, and so there's one king family. And so uh, I had... Um, was driving a little bit over the speed limit, not a lot, okay, but I want to clarify that, a little bit over the speed limit uh, through town, and I got pulled over right off of the court square, and if you can imagine, small town, worst place in the world to get pulled over at, it was outside the court square, and so everybody saw me in, in my car with the flashing uh, blue lights behind me. Officer walks up, and he asked me for my license and registration, I hand that to him, and so he's standing there looking at it, and he goes, King, he goes, are you related to Jimmy King? And I said, I am. That's my dad. And he goes, huh. I was just at your dad's shop last week, and he hooked me up with my car. He took really good care of me. I said, wow, he's a great guy, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he sure is. I bet he'd be disappointed to find out that you got a speeding ticket. He would be super disappointed in that. And he goes, slow it down, son. He handed me my license back, and I was just like, yes. 
benefit of being a part of a king family. Man, I loved it. And probably, I don't know, six months later, I was uh, sitting in a stoplight, not paying attention, and me and my friends were probably messing with the radio or something like that, and I rear-ended somebody in a minivan. Oh, man, I get out, and I'm talking to the lady there, and I'm looking at her van, brand spanking new minivan. I was just like, this is bad, bad, bad. And she says, are you Jimmy King's son? And I said, I am. And she said, oh, we had our other car in your dad's shop last week. I'll just take the, the van by and have him look at it. That would be great. And so I jumped in my car and left. I didn't call the cops, didn't fill out a police report, no insurance involved. I love it. Sometimes it's a benefit to be a part of a family, isn't it? But here's the thing. When you and I are born into this world, we're not born into God's family automatically. You see, all of God's creations are not necessarily all of God's children. Sometimes you might hear people say, like, well, we're all God's family, or we're all God's creations, and so that means we're all part of God's big family. Just because you're a creation of God does not make you a child of God. Now, it makes us uh, all part of the same race, the human race. Uh, we should definitely seek to be good citizens of earth. Uh, we should definitely do our part to help our fellow man, but the idea that all of God's creations are all automatically part of God's family is not, not, is not necessarily the case because we're not automatically born into God's family. It's not something that when you are born, you're automatically a part of the family of God. You're actually uh, not a part of God's family at all. And so while God is definitely sovereign over his creation, he has a special allegiance, if you will, a special favoritism, if you will, for his children. Now, before we jump into understanding what it means to be called a child of God, as we use the term today, sonship, it's kind of a general term speaking of being a part of the family of God. It's not uh, only for men in, per se. And so when we speak of the term sonship, it could also be daughtership or whatever you want to call it. We're the sons and daughters of God when I say the word sonship. And so uh, that's not a, a, a gender issue. It's a matter of, of who we are in Christ when we talk about sonship. But you and I can't appropriately appreciate what it means to be called the sons of God, the daughters of God, unless we first understand who we are. You can't really appreciate what you have until you realize what you don't deserve or what you didn't have to begin with. Uh, some of the folks in our church this week have been uh, had uh, what would be more than a minor inconvenience with their water system. Now, let me just tell you this. If you have a need, please come see me. We want to help you with whatever needs you have, 100%. But I was just talking with a, a friend at the handshaking time, and she said, uh, hey, we never really appreciated how much it, of a benefit it is to have running water until we don't have it. And by the same token, you don't understand what a benefit you have of being a part of the family of God unless you didn't realize what you had before you didn't have it. And so as we look at, before we jump into what benefits we have in Christ, we need to first of all understand what we were, where we were without him. First of all, you and I were born enemies of God according to the Bible. Now this is way different than the thought of being born into the family of God. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse number 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. For when we were the enemies of God. So you're born into this world not as a child of God. You're born into uh, this world as an enemy of God, actively fighting against God and his will, actively fighting against God and his purposes. 
So the idea, again, that God is, uh, uh, you know, all, all, all automatically everyone's father couldn't be further from the truth. Some people have said before, well, does God hear the prayers of the unsaved man? Well, that's a great question. The Bible tells us that there's one thing that separates God from being able to hear our prayers. You know what it is? It's sin. And the Bible says that your sin has separated God so that he can't hear you. It's not that his ear is so heavy that it can't hear. It's not that his, his hand is so lame that it cannot have power. It's the fact that your sin has separated you from God that he will not hear you. And so the Bible tells us that God doesn't hear the prayers of the unsaved man. And you might say, well, I remember one time before I started walking with Jesus, you know, I, I prayed and God heard my prayer and, and God answered me. Hey, look, God can do whatever he wants because he's gracious and because he's kind and because he's merciful and because he's loving. But please understand, God is not obligated to do anything for his enemies, those who actively oppose his will and oppose his rule. And that's who we are without Jesus Christ. We're the enemies of God. The Bible also tells us that we're born the children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3, among whom we also had our conversation. That word conversation means the way that you lived your life in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That before you met Jesus, and you might be here today and you still don't know Jesus, know this, you are the children of wrath. What does that mean? That means that not only do you do what your angry, wicked heart desires, but also God's wrath is waiting for you and God's punishment is coming for you. John chapter 3 says, He who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. It's heavy stuff. So you and I were the children of wrath without Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us we were born children of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words, because these things that cometh the wrath of God, upon who? Upon the children of disobedience. What does that mean? That means God had rules and you broke them. And sometimes we get this notion in our mind that sin was that one thing that I did in college that I'm not proud of or that thing I got mixed up in high school that I felt really bad about, that sin was something that I did in the past. Sin consumes our entire personhood that we can't get away from it if we tried. That we are sinners by nature to the very core of who we are. And what we do and see and say on the outside only reveals about an inch deep of how wicked our heart truly is. Because we're born the children of wrath, children of disobedience. We are born selfish with no desire for the things of God. I don't want God. I don't want to know God. I just want to do my own thing. Romans chapter 3, verse number 11, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of their way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We took a look at last Sunday night as we went through the book of James, how James says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils believe also and tremble. Everybody knows that there's a God by saying, I believe in God. Yeah, so what? Water's wet. It's the same idea. It's not a big deal. Everybody knows that. 
And you might say, well, well, atheists don't believe in God. Romans chapter 1 disagrees. God's revealed himself unto all men so that they're without, without excuse. And if you don't believe in God, you have to create a totally separate system that you're going to believe in that explains everything that we see, everything that we experience apart from God. You've got to create your whole structure, your whole system. And man has done that because we just want to do what we want to do. And the problem is, is that many times we don't want to believe that there's a God because if we believe that there is a God, we're accountable to him. I don't want to have to believe that this word is true because if it's true, that means I have to change. And I don't want to change. I want to do my own thing. Again, the Bible says that we've all gone our own way. We've all gone and done our own thing. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none righteous. No, not one. That's who we are in our nature. We're born sinners. David says in Psalm 51, verse number 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David's not talking about in Psalm 51, 5, that his mother had a sinful act in which she conceived him. What he's saying is, the moment my life began, conception, again, this is why Christians are pro-life because we believe the Bible, the moment that I was conceived, I immediately became sinful. Because when my life began, I'm nothing but a sinner, is what David said. Our children are sinners. <laughs> you know that if you got kids, right? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that children come forth from their mother's womb speaking lies. <laughs> that if you, that cute little baby that you're rocking to sleep is a little pagan liar is all it is. <laughs> and you know this. Again, those of you that had children, this is not a surprise to you. You got a clean diaper. You just ate. You just took a nap. You just got your blanket. I'm holding you. I'm giving you all the attention in the world. And what do you do? You still cry like something's wrong. Why? Because you're a pagan liar. <laughs> you're selfish. You just want what you want, right? And you don't care who you inconvenience. You don't care who has to get up in the middle of the night and stay up and not eat, sleep for months on end because you just care about you, right? <laughs> Here's the worst part. We don't ever grow out of that, do we? Right? I don't care who I can inconvenience. I just want what I want. I don't care who gets hurt in the process. I deserve what's coming to me. And guess what? We're just a bunch of grown-up babies who want to do our own thing. You know why? Because we are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Please understand, I'm not shaking my finger at you saying, you wicked, pathetic sinners. I'm shaking my finger at mankind saying, us wicked, pathetic sinners. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know who we are. Very rarely, this has happened probably, I would say, less than 10 times in my entire life out of thousands of times that I've shared my faith with people. Thousands, literally. I've said to somebody, would you agree that you are a sinner? Like less than 10 times somebody has said to me, no, I don't agree with that statement at all. Really? You don't believe that you've ever done anything wrong? I, can't, I honestly can't think of one thing that I've ever done wrong in my entire life. It's just like really like if i talked to your wife would your wife disagree with that statement oh yeah well she's really hard on me but i don't think i've ever done anything wrong wow okay and generally what i do again i take a a, a, a page out of the playbook of uh, ray comfort a way of the master you should google that and watch it sometime on uh, youtube he basically takes the the ten commandments and shows people their need for christ 
Have you ever told a lie before? Then you are a liar and you're guilty before God. You know, uh, have you ever uh, used God's name in vain as a curse word? Good, you are a blasphemer who is guilty before God. And he basically goes through the Ten Commandments. Hey, have you ever looked at something and wanted something that didn't belong to you? You're a covetous idolater now. And it shows you where you stack up on God's scorecard and how all of us have sinned against the Holy God. But the majority of us don't need to pull out Bible verses to say, I'm a pathetic human being, Right? I don't need anybody to tell me that. I know. Now, I might put on a facade like I've got it all together. I might like bow up and like try to point out everybody else's fault. But at the end of the day, I really know if I'm being honest with me, I'm a sinner in great need of God's grace. And without Jesus Christ, I am 100% toast. We're born unrighteous and unprofitable to God. It's interesting as we we go through these passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse number 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none righteous, no, I'm, I'm sorry, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. So not only are you unrighteous, you break God's rules all the time. But unprofitable. Isn't that a strong word? You know what that means? Worthless. Wow. You see, sometimes we get the idea that, hey, God got a pretty good deal with me. You know, I'm attractive. I'm affluent. I'm a good talker. You know, I got my sin, but it wasn't anything really too bad. I mean, like, I don't kill anybody or anything, but I mean, like, God got a pretty good deal with me. I mean, he had to forgive a little bit of sin, but whoa, 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 whoa. Please understand, there is nothing in you that is attractive to God whatsoever. God didn't get a good deal when he bought your soul. Because first of all, it cost him everything that you had. And secondly, according to the Bible, you are holy, with a W, holy, unprofitable to God. Completely and totally of no use whatsoever to God. And so then you look and say, well, why would God want anything to do with me? Because he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's kind, he's compassionate, and he desires your soul so that he can glorify himself. Because that's who God is. But please don't misunderstand. There's nothing that you have that is attractive to God. The only thing that God wants from you is your faith, your worship, your obedience, your repentance, and for you to walk in holiness and righteousness. But here's the thing. If you haven't read the Bible, let me clue you on something here. God doesn't need somebody who's really well-spoken and has a charismatic personality and all these other things to accomplish his work and his will. God uses whatever he's got laying around. You take Moses. God's talking to Moses. He says, Moses, what do you got? Moses says, I got a stick. And God says, throw your stick on the ground. He threw a stick on the ground. It turned into what? Anybody remember? I would have been out. Like, out. Like, hey, I'm done. You can have the stick. I'm done with it. I'm totally done. And God says, pick it up. I would have been like, I said I was done. Like, not. Picks it back up, and what does it do? It turns into a stick. Wow. God says, okay, you got a stuttering dude with a stick. I'll take it. Right? And what happens when the stutterer leads the children of Israel out of Egypt to the Red Sea. Standing there at the Red Sea, no way forward, enemy closing in behind him, breathing down his neck, 
What does Moses take? Anybody remember? The stick. But it's not called the stick. If you read it, it's called what? Somebody help me. The rod of God. Isn't that cool? Like a stick turned into the rod of God. You know why? Not because of Moses, because of who God is. And so we need to understand that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good things, what the Apostle Paul said. Nothing. I have nothing of value to God whatsoever. But Christ in me? Oh, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Oh, Christ in me? Hey, not I live, but Christ lives in me. Oh, now we can begin to accomplish stuff because it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. That's a big deal. But without Jesus, we are unrighteous, unprofitable. We're born rebels to God. I don't know about you, but there's something inside of me that if you're walking somewhere and the quickest way is to walk across the grass and there's a sign up that says, please don't walk on the grass. It's just like, why? It won't hurt one person walking on the grass, right? And like, it's the quickest way from point A to point B. I just walk on the grass, right? You know, the funny thing is, is the only place on this entire island that people actually obey crosswalks is on military bases. I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not. The only place on this whole island where people really stop at crosswalks and actually use them is like at the NEX and like on base. Like everybody else is just like cross the street wherever you can. Why? Because we don't like to be told what to do. I just want to do my own thing. And if I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to do it. And frankly, I don't care. Who knows? Now, I might look around and see if anybody's there. I might see if there's a police officer nearby before I jaywalk and run across the street. But at the end of the day, I just want to do what I want to do. Why? Because we're rebels at heart. Because without Jesus, we are our own masters. So the Bible says when there weren't judges in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Why? Because we're rebels at heart. We just want to do what we want to do in our flesh. But we're also born spiritually dead. We don't have time to fully unpack this this morning, but I want to help you with this idea. You are a three-part being. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your body is the physical manifestation of who you are. Some of us weren't blessed with great looks. Uh, Some of you were. Uh, But our physical body is our first part of our makeup. Our second is our soul. Your soul is the seed of your emotions. It's who you are. It's your personality. It's what makes you, you. That's your soul. And your soul will spend eternity somewhere. And then the third part of you is the spirit. Body, soul, spirit. Three-part being. Your spirit is born dead automatically. The moment that you are born into this world, your spirit is dead Ephesians chapter 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Your sin killed your spirit before you ever even had a chance to take a first breath. Born dead. That's why before you met Jesus, it felt like something was missing. Something was off somewhere. And people spend their entire lives trying to find that thing that will make me come alive. Whether it's a new relationship or a new trip or a new vacation or a new house or a new car or uh, going shopping and getting all the things that I want. And I think to myself, if I get that thing, I'll be alive. But you realize those things don't last. It still feels like something's missing, doesn't it? Because that third part of yourself is dead. And so the Bible says that when you met Jesus Christ... 
that we were quickened together. That word means alive together. Ephesians chapter 1 says we were made alive together with Jesus Christ. And the day that you got saved, your spirit came alive. You became a complete being. And the Holy Spirit of God came and took up residence in your heart and life and will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. So that's what happened. But before you met Jesus, you were spiritually dead. Like totally dead. So, that's problematic. And so, for us to say, well, you know, well, it's, I guess it's okay, a good thing to be a part of the family of God. I guess it's a good thing to be. Wait, wait, wait. You need to understand who you are without Jesus before you can truly appreciate Jesus. Like for us as Christians, when we think about being able to celebrate a holiday where the entire world stops to worship our Savior, we should be like at front of the line celebrating, Right? And again, I'm not talking about like with candy cane and reindeer. Like, Jesus is the reason for the season. Like, it blows my mind that in the liberal, progressive world that we live in, that I can walk to a store across the street at Alamoana Shopping Center, largest outdoor shopping center in the world. They just five years ago did a half a billion dollar upgrade to make it even larger. And I walk over there and you know what I hear playing on the speakers? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And I say, amen. They're talking about my Jesus there. Love it. The whole world stops. We as Christians should be like, hey, let me jump on that train. You might say, oh, Christmas was originally a pagan holiday celebrated by the... Hey, Stop. If the, if the pagan world today is going to stop and celebrate Jesus, I'm totally going to celebrate Jesus, right? Why? Because I know who I was. And I know what Jesus has given me. And if Jesus hadn't came and been born and laid in a manger, we would be toast. So, because this gift that we've been given, we rejoice. We praise God for <laughs> I have a strange sense of humor, but I came across uh, this uh, photo that somebody posted on the internet a while back. I thought this would be good for one of our men's get-togethers. <laughs> like, hey, you don't deserve a donut. <laughs> you deserve wrath. I, I thought it was funny. You might not think it's funny. But uh, again, I understand who I am. I understand what I deserve, and that makes me so appreciative for what I have. Now, when it comes to being a part of God's family, it's important to understand that God only has one natural son, only one. And his name is Jesus. God has one natural child, and his name is Jesus. That's why in the Bible, he, Jesus Christ is referred to as the only begotten Son of God. Man, I love James. Uh, I'm sorry, I love the book of John. I love James too. It's really good. But I love the book of John. John chapter 1, verse number 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I, I don't even have time to go through the depths of John 1.14. But we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Get this, Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. Would be to God that I could be so balanced as Jesus. To be willing to be full of grace and truth. He never compromised truth to be gracious but he also never compromised his grace to, to give the truth. Perfectly balanced. That's how I want to be. But we beheld his glory, how? As the only begotten of the Father. What did Jesus say in John three sixteen? That for God so loved the world that he gave what? That he gave his only begotten son. 
Jesus Christ is the only natural Son of God, while you and I can be offered sonship, there's only one natural Son, and that's Jesus Christ. John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath he declared unto him. So nobody's actually seen God the Father, but we've seen the Son, the only begotten Son. Now Jesus made it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. Turn back to, to John chapter 1 in your Bible, if you would. It's just, just John 1 is just so good. And again, we talk about, when I talk about the Christmas story, uh, our family reads Luke chapter 2 every Christmas morning before we open our presents. And I encourage you, if you don't yet, I mean, if you want to read the night before Christmas, on Christmas Eve before you put your kids down, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But read Luke chapter 2 at some point in this season to remind your kids why we really celebrate Christmas. Um, make it a family tradition for you. Uh, you should remember what, what Jesus Christ did. I love the Christmas story. I love Luke chapter 2. But man, I love John chapter 1. John chapter 1 starts off verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, capitalized W, meaning Jesus Christ. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So at creation, Jesus Christ is there, and He is and always will be God. Again, false religion says that Jesus uh, was created on, uh, uh, Beth in Bethlehem on that Christmas morning. Lies. Jesus Christ was in the beginning at the creation of the world. But take a look at verse number um, 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Again, Jesus Christ was present at creation. Verse number 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse number 18, no man hath seen God at any time, speaking of God the Father, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath, he hath declared him. So no man has seen God the Father at any time, but we have seen Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is a declaration of the Father. Man, so this isn't just a little baby who's going to die on the cross. This is a manifestation of God. I don't know if you remember, but in the Old Testament, that Moses wanted to see God, and God says, you can't, you can't look on me. Like, you can't look on me and live. But he said, here's what I'll do. As I walk away, I'll let you see me from the back, but that's as close as you'll ever get. And Moses did. He saw the glory of the Lord. Does anybody remember what happened to Moses? His face shone like the sun so much that the Bible said they had to put a veil over his face because it was so bright it blinded everybody. Like, Moses saw God's back, and his face was so bright they had to put a bag over his head when they talked to him. Like, and, and so God couldn't do that and allow people to live, so what did he do? He sent his son Jesus, who would be a manifestation of that. Like, oh my goodness, that's so good. And then Romans chapter 5 tells us, that when we were the enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, when it comes to adoption, adoption affords us all the rights and privileges of natural sonship. I don't know how familiar you are with adoption, but if you adopt a child, that child legally becomes yours. The child gets a new birth certificate with new birth parents listed on the birth certificate. The actual parents... Natural parents, they're wiped clean like they never even existed. 
this new birth certificate has the adoptive parents on it. So now that child has legal rights and obligations just as a natural son, just as a natural daughter. And so when Jesus Christ allows us to be adopted into the family of God, that's a really big deal. Now in Roman times, what would happen is a child, whenever they were adopted, and so as Paul writes to the Romans and talks to them about adoption, a Roman child would be adopted and basically the natural parents at that point absolved all rights and privileges to the child. 100%. No access, no rights whatsoever. Secondly, the child would then adopt a new family name and be given full rights and privileges as a member of that family. Thirdly, any debts or obligations that were held by the natural born parents or family were not to be carried over to this adopted child because he has a new family. I don't know if you caught any of that and how that relates to us. But we're adopted into a new family so that we no longer have any rights, responsibilities, and privileges to our old family. Who is that? The children of wrath, the children of disobedience, the enemies of God. That's totally gone, and we're now in a part of a new family. And any old obligations that we had are no longer viable on us. They're null and void because our debt has now been absolved because we're part of a new family. It's just it's so good. Turn back to Romans chapter 8 if you're not there already. Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. Adoption gives us first and foremost a new father. Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse number 15 is so good because it says, Hey, look, you were once slaves to sin. You were once enemies of God, but now you're not going back into a different type of bondage. You're actually being set free. You know, the interesting thing is that when we're adopted into the family of God, we're never asked to pay for all of our wrongdoings. We're not asked to pay for our sin. We're just adopted and made sons and daughters. And now, again, verse number 15 you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic term. It was more of an uh, informal term for, for father that we might use, daddy or papa. But the idea is that it's not this rigid legal agreement that we have with God. It's now a family connection that we have with God. And, and let me just help say this. This is a personal preference. This is not a Bible thing. But if you ever pray in public with the term daddy God, just know that I'm going to look at you like you're weird because that just sounds weird, right? But the idea here is the same, is that we don't have to have a rigid prayer life with our father. Sometimes I hear people pray in, in King James English, and it's just like, what are you doing? We beseech thee, thou for our great and merciful heavenly father before thy throne of grace this hallowed evening. It's like, what? Who do you talk to like that? Like, if God is my father, I'm just like, hey, God, I need help. I made a mess of this situation, and I know I don't deserve it, but I could really use a hand. Why? Because he's my father. Hebrews tells us that when we need help, we can go to boldly to the throne of grace. That we can go to the king of kings and lord of lords and say, hey, stop everything you're doing because I really need a hand right now. It's interesting that when Hebrews tells us that we can go boldly to the throne of grace, in biblical times it was a, a, a violation punishable by death to walk into the throne room uninvited. And when you walked into the throne room, even if you were invited, you had to stop 
you had to bow, you might have had to kiss a ring, and then you had to wait to speak until you were called upon. And you only had a brief window of time to speak, and once you spoke, the king gave his word, and you were out of there. But that's different how God's children are treated, isn't it? We get to come boldly to the throne of grace for help when? In time of need, whenever you need it. Just run up and say, hey, stop. I need a hand right here. Why? Because we now have a a new father. We're no longer the children of wrath, no longer the children of disobedience. Now we are the sons and daughters of God because of what? Because of adoption, we've also been given a new name. James chapter 1, I'm sorry, John chapter 1, verse number 12. To them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Oh, I'm no longer a child of wrath. I'm no longer a child of disobedience. I'm no longer a rebel. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I now am a child of God. I now get to be called the sons of God. People ask who my father is. My father is God, the father. He's mine. He's not a father. He's not just the creator of the world. He's my father. Why? Because of adoption. I now have a new name. That name is Christian, Christ follower, disciple of Christ, son of God, daughter of God. Why? Because you deserve it? No, because Jesus gave us power to be called the sons of God. What a gift. Not only that, we've also been given a new future. Take a look at verse number 17. And if children then join heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, so be that we suffer with him, we may be glorified together. For I reckon that the su- present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, it's interesting, verse number 17, if you take a look. And this kind of goes back to, to, to being a part of a new family. If we're children of God, verse 16 says we are. Just back up for just a sec to verse number 16. I wanted to mention this before we move on. Verse number 16 says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What that means is that if you've been saved, if you've been born again, the Spirit of God is in you, and the Spirit of God lets you know that you belong to God. And so I was talking to somebody this past week, great question that they asked. So, well, how does the Spirit tell me that I belong to God? Is it a feeling that I have? Is it a thought that I think or something like that? And this is really, really important for us Christians that we get this. The Spirit of God always speaks to you through the Word of God. Get that, okay? The Spirit of God always speaks to you through the Word of God. And you say, well, where do you get that from? John chapter 15, Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth and bring the things that I taught you into remembrance. The Spirit's job is always to drive you back to Scripture. And so, you want to know that you're the child of God? Take a look at what the Bible has to say. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. Have you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have you repented of your sin before God and been born again? If so, you're a child of God. And the Spirit will confirm that with you, that you are a child of God. Simple as that. The Spirit of God never leads us by feelings and emotions. Those change. Those are so subjective. Well, I feel like this is the right thing. 
or I feel like a child of God, or I don't feel like a child of God. The Spirit of God always leads us back to capital T truth every single time, and truth is found in God's Word. And so the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then verse number uh, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So get this, we're talking about family relationships. If God is our Father, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you and I are the sons of God, what is our relation to Jesus Christ? Somebody help me with that. Brother? So you're trying to tell me that you're the brother and sister of Jesus Christ. That's what you're trying to tell me. Absolutely. Take a look at verse number uh, 18 again. Or verse number 17. If children, then heirs, heirs of God. And who are we joint heirs with? Christ. We have access to everything that God has access to because we are joint heirs together with Christ. Now, we're adopted children, but as we looked at, adopted children have the same rights as natural children, according to every law of the land and definitely in God's economy as well. And so we have as much access to the Father as God the Son had. Crazy. But we are joint heirs with Christ. And, and so that's why when we say things like, that guy's my brother in Christ and I care for him, because we both have the same father, we both share the same family, we're brothers together. We're brothers and sisters together. That's why we say that we are part of the family of God. That's why who we call a Baptist church isn't just a place you come and park your, yourself on Sunday mornings for a couple of hours. It's a family that you belong to, that you're looking out for each other because we belong to the same Father because we have the same family. And here's the awesome part. You might have only been a part of this family for six months, six years, or 60 years. Doesn't matter. We're all family here. And you know the unique thing about family is, is that family special for special occasions, isn't it? And when it comes time for things like celebrating Christmas, I'm thankful to be able to do it with family. You guys. Early on, in, in who we call it, somebody had asked us, hey, are you guys planning on going home for Christmas? We're home. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, go home. Like this is, this is as home as we've ever had. This is as much family as we've ever had. Like, I don't know anything other than this. Oh, I may go back to Kentucky. Kentucky, I haven't lived in Kentucky since I was 18 years old. Like, I've been gone longer than I ever lived there. Like, home is where I am with family. And I'm not denigrating or in any way demeaning my, my blood family. But Jesus Christ, somebody said, hey, Jesus, uh, your mom and your brother are outside. And Jesus says, who are my family except these people that are here? Like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. The closest relationships that I have in my entire life are part of the family of God. How did I get that? By being adopted. I was adopted into the family of God. And because of that, I have a new family and I have a new future. And the future that I have is everything that Jesus has is available to me at my disposal because I am joint heirs together with Jesus. And that gives me a new inheritance as well. So if I'm joint heirs, what do I get as a result of that? Well, it's all the inheritance that God the Father has to offer. You see, it's interesting, in, in Jewish culture, when a father would die, he would leave his uh, a, a half portion to the oldest son, and then with there's 12 other kids, they would split up the remaining 50%. 
But in God's family, that's not the case. We are joint heirs together with Christ. We share in everything that God the Father has to offer as if we were natural children. So our new inheritance that we have, we inherit the kingdom. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I could read this. It might be in your notes, but I want you to see it from the Bible just because I want you to read it with your own eyeballs because it's so good. Revelation chapter 21. I love that song we sang uh, this morning. Christ is mine forevermore. There my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Mine are keys to Zion City. You know what that means? I get to go to heaven and I get to walk with the King of Kings down the streets of Goldbam. What a day that's going to be. Take a look at what Revelation chapter 21, verse number 3 says. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. There shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He said, Right, for these words are true and faithful. Man, that's our inheritance. One of these days when this life is over, we get to be with Jesus. For how long? Forever. We get to be, here's the, here's the crazy thought. You and I get to be with our Father together with all of his other children throughout all of world history. So for the thousands of years that people have followed Jesus, all those are going to be together in heaven one day. We get to be there with that. That's our inheritance. What's your inheritance? The kingdom. Did you deserve it? Not even remotely close. Did I deserve it? Absolutely not. But how is it given? Through adoption. How is adoption available for us? By the death of his son. Two final thoughts and we're done. First of all, sonship brings hope and peace because of its permanent status. Let me help you with the truth this morning. If you've been saved or born again, you can never lose that gift of sonship. If you've been adopted into the family of God, please understand that adoption is a legally binding agreement and God doesn't break his promises. And for anybody who would think that you could lose your salvation for poor behavior, let me put you back to the scriptures that says that we have the gift of eternal life that Jesus promises for all those that would believe in him everlasting life and how long is that good for eternity and everlasting are you saying once you're saved you're always saved I'm not saying that the Bible says that I'm simply agreeing with the Bible Because if you've been given a gift of sonship, that should give you hope, that should give you peace, and that should give you the strength that you need to push through from day to day because you know that your Father is looking out for you. And final thought this morning, if we are the sons of God, our lives should reflect Jesus Christ, our brother. If you call yourself a child of God, your life should reflect it. 
Now, you're here in Romans chapter 8 already. Turn over to verse number uh, 28. And, actually, you're probably in Revelation like I am. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. One uh, last verse I want you to look at. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28 is a great promise from God's word. It's often misused, misapplied, taken out of context, used haphazardly. But it's a good promise. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. But we know that all things work together for good. Oftentimes, I hate this, people put a dot, dot, dot. Or we just say, well, the Bible says all things work together for good. That's not what the Bible says. It says more. This promise, let me help you with a a Bible uh, uh, truth this morning. This promise is what's called a conditional promise. You meet these criteria, this promise applies to you. You don't meet the criteria, this is not for you, it's for somebody else. All things work together for good, for who? For those that love God. Now I'm going to help you parse through this. Love in the Bible is always directly related to obedience. Jesus says, you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. So those that love God, those that are obeying God, all things work together for good. And for who else? For those who are the called according to his purpose. What does that mean? That means this is specifically for God's children. Those who have been called to adoption, his sons, his daughters, this promise applies to them that know him, that love him, that obey him. Okay? So for your unsaved coworker, Romans 8.28 doesn't apply to them. All things don't work together for good for them. For the unsaved man, the unsaved woman, all things work together for the wrath of God on their life. That's heavy. But for those of us that are Christians, Romans 8.28 applies to you. If you love God and are obeying Him, this applies to you. All things work together for good. But what's the good? Oh, that I would get that promotion and I'd make more money, that I'd be able to pay all my bills. That's not the good because you have to keep reading the Bible. Verse number 29 is often left out of the promise of Romans 8.28. What's the good? For whom he did for no, he did also predestinate to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. So Romans 8.28 says this, for all those that are God's children that have been adopted into the family of God that obey him, God is working everything for your life to help you to be conformed to the image of his son, to help you to be like Jesus. Everything in your life is taking place right now to help you to be like Jesus, okay? (laughs) But then it goes on. This is the, the, the part that'll blow your mind that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. That Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, but after him would come a whole lot of brothers and sisters after that. So that makes Jesus, if Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, that makes Jesus our big brother. Okay? And big brother has already walked the path He's already done all this stuff, and he has set the standard for what you and I should be. All we got to do is follow the example of our big brother. I don't know how many of you had siblings, how many of you had a big brother. But man, I always hated it. Like, well, your brother Tim never did this. It's like, my brother Tim, right? But here's the thing. This isn't like a comparison, like, oh, you're not, you don't meet up to snuff. This is a standard of like, hey, here's how it's done. Just follow the example of your brother. Because 
All things are working together in your life right now for the good that you'd be made more like Jesus so that you can follow the example of your brother so that we can all be productive sons and daughters of God. So that we're no longer unprofitable, unrighteous, disobedient, children of wrath, but we now are the adopted sons and daughters of God that bear our Father's name and bring Him the glory that He deserves. That's the good stuff. So that baby that was born in a manger, what did he bring to us? He brought to us adoption. He made a way for those of us that were not born into a family to now be part of a family. He gave us a belonging that we didn't have before. He's given us his father's name. He's allowed us to have what belongs to him. Think about that for just a second. If we're joint heirs with Christ, that means that Jesus, this, this, this sounds crazy. Just hear me out, though. If we're joint heirs with Christ, then Jesus made a decision at some point to allow us to share all the things that he already has from the Father. Think about that for a second. Can you imagine as a kid, like your parents saying, like, hey, we're adopting 100 other kids and they're going to move into your room. You'd be like, like 100? Can we start with like one? Oh, yeah, they get everything that you have. We'd be like, no, they're not, right? Absolutely. But here's what Jesus says, hey, everything that I have is yours because the Father gave it to me. And I'm willing to lay down my life so that you can have these things because that's who Jesus is. The baby in the manger was just the beginning of what God was unfolding to bring you and I, who were not part of his family, into his family. The book of Galatians says that those that had no promise, had no inheritance, can now be part of the family of God. That's you and I. And it was all made possible by Jesus. Most important thing in the world, if you're here saying you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, today is your opportunity to know Him, to be born again, to be saved. That's what you need. That's the only way that you can become a child of God is by confessing your sin before God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe there's no other way to heaven other than through Him. And I today confess my sin and ask for forgiveness. And I'm asking God to save me. You could be saved today in a split second. We're going to have a baptism service this afternoon. The people that are being baptized have already been saved because there's not enough water in the world to wash away people's sins. They're not being baptized so that they'll go to heaven. They're being baptized because they've already been adopted into the family of God. And today is just them saying, hey, I want to let everybody know that would be willing to watch that I am a follower of Jesus and I am a child of God. But please don't make a mistake. Baptism doesn't save anybody. If you're here today and you don't know for sure your sins are forgiven, don't leave here today without knowing for sure that you are a child of God. And if you say, well, I think I might be, I'm not really sure. Hey, your spirit, if you have the spirit of God in you, the Holy Spirit will guide you into a place of knowing for sure that you are saved because God wants you to be 100% sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. But we also get the opportunity and the privilege this week to live on behalf of our Father. That where I go, I want people to know that God is my father. I often tell my kids when I drop them off somewhere, hey, don't ever forget, first of all, that you're a king. That name means something, right? And don't forget that you're a child of the king. I don't want you to forget who your family is. I don't want you to forget who your family is. And I want you to act accordingly. And all of us this week get to, to act accordingly to give our father the glory that he deserves. Because we've been adopted by the power of Jesus Christ.
Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.